Hey, hon, you have just tuned in to My Boss Circle on your favorite podcast platform. I am your boss host, Alexis Sierra, founder of My Boss Circle and business strategy coach. My Boss Circle podcast empowers a network of women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to build scalable businesses through boss conversations and relationship building. I am so excited today because we have a very special guest on the Boss Circle. I am so excited to have entrepreneur and international boss friend, global entrepreneur and speaker, Mia Boykins. Welcome to the circle, Mia. Oh my gosh, Alexis. I am so happy to be here. You have the most amazing radio voice I've ever heard. <laughs> I get it from my uncle, girl. I get it from my uncle. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. I am so excited to have you. Listen, you have the most amazing story. But before we get into that, I actually want to tell kind of how I met you and how we became boss friends. Because I think it's such a unique story. And it's really important for a lot of other women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to hear it because it's all about networking. That's right. And not being, you know what I mean? It's not being afraid to meet new people. I was attending a World Affairs Council event at the Commerce Club. And mm -hmm. I remember when I got ready to go to that event that day, I, I kind of like thought twice a couple of times. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go because I don't have anybody to go with me. And now I'm it's like going to it's like I'm going to be starting over where I'm going to be going to an event and have to build all brand new relationships <laughs> so I can have somebody to talk to. Yes. And I was like, yeah, I was like, OK, but it's going to be a really great event. And I think um, I think it was centered around France. Um, yes. And the different employment and things like that. Right. Very interesting so, combo. Yes. Great, great combo. It was very unique to hear some different perspectives on how different countries approach um, employment. But I remember during the first few minutes when I walked into the room, the event hadn't even started yet. And I was walking around looking for a table. And up walks Miss Mia Boykins. And you just started talking to me out of nowhere. <laughs> she was black, by the way. This, <laughs> this was like a mostly white audience. She left that part out. I was there as a part of, you know, working with the mayor's office of international affairs. So I was representing the Department of Aviation at that event. And I was actually a member of the World Affairs Council. And I was so delighted to see Alexis. I was like, oh, who is this black woman? I'm going to go and talk to her. <laughs> I know it is that, that comfortability that comes with finding someone in the audience who looks like you. Yes. <laughs> you know? And yes. I just thought it was so nice of you to come up and talk to me because normally I'm the person approaching random people starting a conversation. <laughs> so it felt good for somebody to do it to me for once. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I remember, yeah, I remember that I was looking for a, a seat. And you asked me, you said, so where are you sitting? I was like, I have no idea. I just know that I need to find somewhere to sit down before this starts. And you were like, why don't you just come and sit with me? I have a table in the front. So I just, I was like, okay, sure. Of course I'll, I'll come and sit with you. I never turned down a good seat. <laughs> <laughs> we were front and center. <laughs> yes, I remember when I sat down at that table, when I looked around at the name tags, I was like, wait a minute. Where did I just sit down at? <laughs> right. <laughs> I was 
like I just sat down at the table with dignitaries and ambassadors. That's and right. It was so <laughs> ironic to me. I remember texting my grandmother while I was sitting at the table. I was like, you're never going to believe who I got to sit with and talk to at this event. And I was like, okay. I turned to you and I said, girl, what do you do? Yes, you did. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this, this is very different. So I was like, okay, now I know somebody who has international expertise and connections. You know, it's totally different when you meet people like you. So I know that you speak multiple languages, right? So yes. Which one, which one, how many are you fluent in and how many do you just kind of know? I am fluent in French. Um, when I say fluent, it means like I can understand everything that people are saying and I can re- also respond. My grammar isn't perfect, but um, fluent is just like, you know, understanding like this conversation right here. Like I can, if I don't know what someone's saying, I can at least get around and say, okay, well, what do you mean? Can you describe it more so that I can get an understanding? Um, but I also speak mm-hmm. really, I, I can speak some things in Spanish, um, like kind of small conversational because I, I lived in Spain. Uh, I lived in France. I lived in England, um, also Taiwan. So I know small Chinese, like r- basically nothing. Ni hao, she she. Ni hao ma, that's like it. But I also can randomly speak some Yoruba, which is a Nigerian dialect. Nice, nice. Never have I met someone who looks like me, who speaks multiple languages, can at least carry on a conversation with um, people from different backgrounds and things like that. But I mean, you had a pretty unique job at the time. So tell us a little bit about, take us to the beginning though, before we dig into what you were doing when I met you. Okay. You want me to start from like Spellman days or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Start from the Spellman Perfect. Days. Of course, got to start with Spellman, HBCU love all the way. Um, yes. Yes. So um, I started Spellman at 18, like everybody else. And, you know, I was kind of not focused. Well, not focused at all. I was just kind of all over the place. I'd, I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. Um, like I was kind of doing, I did well. I, I was on a dean's list the first year, um, which was cool. But otherwise, you know, I was just kind of like skating along through class. And I actually was able to navigate university, all of the universities that I attended so well because of my communication skills and my also my ability to connect. So where I might have skipped class for like two months, I might have also had a relationship with my teacher and they knew my situation. They knew what was going on. And they kind of had some empathy towards me. They didn't treat me like just, you know, another lost student. So that really helps me. Um, when I was about 19, one of my friends had to leave Spelman because she had like a balance in her account. And I was really sad because, you know, growing up in my younger days, like my mom, she didn't go to college. A lot of my family on my mother's side, who I mostly grew up with, also didn't attend college. They started working right after high school, if they even graduated high school. So I kind of grew up in an environment where education wasn't very valued. My father values it heavily, which is why I'm even in a PhD right now. But, you know, as I said, from youth, I didn't see 
scholars. I didn't see people with masters or PhDs, none of that. I had to do a lot of research on my own even to get to Spelman. Um, my dad is also an HBCU grad. He went to Gramlin. So shout out to Gramlin because without Gramlin, there wouldn't be me, <laughs> the product of Spelman. Yes. I was really sad because I was like, wow, you know, at Spelman, these girls are overachievers. Let me tell you, you go to Spelman and you competitive, <laughs> you might as well just cut it because every girl is like basically <laughs> 4.0. They all like my profile, speaking languages, traveling the world. That is literally the Spelman mission. Like that they, by the yes. time you graduate, you're going to have been abroad. Even if you come from a poor family, Spelman like raised me. So, yes, I love it. You know, just to see students that had such a passion for education and they were so competitive. They were in all these clubs and pageants and doing a lot of service. I just felt really bad because I was like, wow, somebody like this is being forced to leave school because of a lack of funds when there's so many people who don't even care about going to school. They would just go and get a regular mm -hmm. job. So I had told my dad about it. I was really upset. My dad ended up being in a position where he was able to bless my friend, the student, um, to help her to stay in school. And that was the moment that really inspired me to start my scholarship fund. I started my scholarship fund when I was 19 years old. I started a letter writing campaign because this is pre-social media. There wasn't any Instagram, Twitter at the time. There was just Facebook and people weren't even really on Facebook. So anything you did, it had to be like snail mail, going door to door, like really interactive. So that's very interesting because things are so different now. But I started this letter writing yeah. campaign and I, I was able to raise the first 5000 to create a, an account with Spellman. And when I was 20 years old, I awarded my first two scholarships to Spelman students. It was during yes. my, yes, it was during my, um, my first semester senior year. So that kind of started everything for me. It started from, as I said, I was confused. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have any ideas for my education at the time or where I wanted to live, but I did know that I was passionate about education and I was passionate about giving back. And so that kind of, that. that awoken, um, my, my true passion and, and everything kind of trickled from there. So, so what steps did you take to get these other people to really donate to your scholarship foundation and everything? You know, initially I started with family and friends and I had my family as their friends, um, and other extended family. So I, I wrote the letter. And I sent it to my aunt and she actually um, mailed it out because she had some free mailing service. So she just mailed them out all over the country to all of our family. And they were the first donors. Wow. Now, once I created the account and it was actually there, um, and people can just donate directly through Spellman online. Then, um, you know, when I gave out the first two scholarships, I was the first student to create a scholarship while still a student at the school. Like not as in not wow. affiliated with an organization because, you know, AKAs and other stories had scholarships, but not an individual student that wasn't affiliated with an organization. So every other donor at Spelman was an alum or 
somebody who just loved Spellman, you know, in their mission. So I was the only young person. And every year, they, the president of Spellman did um, a donor's luncheon. So all the donors of the college uh, would come and, you know, they, all of their scholarship recipients would come and the scholarship recipient would talk and they would thank the donor and things like that. So I'm in the room with like people that's in their fifties, multimillionaires, people, mm. you know, one man, he, he's given out scholarships to 20 girls every single year, full scholarships. I'm sitting at the table with them and mm. I'm 19 years old. 20 years old. Wow. So they're looking at me like, what? Like, you know, what are you <laughs> doing here? Like, you're amazing. So I ended up getting some of them donated to my scholarship. And because I was the first student, I ended up in AUC Digest. Spell. I was on Spellman's homepage like maybe three or four times when I was a student. Nice. Um, Morehouse College newspaper on the front page. Um I was on the news. I started getting radio requests and requests to speak at these events. And so I'm now speaking at events every other week. And that's why I say everything trickled from my passion and, you know, something that I feel is one of my purposes in life. So it was kind of like a domino effect. That's awesome. So how many scholarships were you able to give out? So, so far, I've awarded 10 scholarships. Um, nine were Spelman students. And mm -hmm. one was actually, well, is actually a student in Jamaica who's attending the University of Technology. I hope to pay for his first year of university. That is absolutely amazing. Amazing. Listen, I always tell people, um, you know, that are just like you that really just want to help people. You don't have to be um, in that older generation to where you're already at alumni status and you're making millions to be able to give back. You can exactly. always find people. You know what I mean? There are a lot of people just like you just said, you called on your family and friends first. That's what we call in the sales world, your natural market. If your family and friends, uh, if you can't get them to support you, then it's really going to be hard to get a bunch of strangers to do it. I know that's practice. right. That's you right. I mean, you need practice on how to get your approach together, what you're going to say, where your talking points are going to be. We were just know? going through this <laughs> prior to the call. <laughs> and that is what friends are for, honestly. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's, it's really, really important. I know a lot of people don't even know that I actually had a similar, similar um, story, except it was a little bit different. Um, when I started my business, I was like first year in my business. Maybe I had been in business about a year and a half. I did an article in a magazine and it ended up going um, nationally and it, it went viral. Wow. My um, girl was viral yeah. from the beginning. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it was just, they were just highlighting a female success factor. Um, it was like female success factor of the week and rolling out. And I remember the corporate office from the insurance agency that I had my um, agency a part of, the carrier, they actually ended up passing it around the whole company. And wow. when they passed the story around, it ended up into some um, areas that I had never even visited. So I got this call from this school of the arts because they knew that I had done business, but also, you know, of course I have a music background. So I'm a part of the arts world as well. 
And it was a really great charter school. And they reached out to me and they were like, hey, we actually read your story. Our students were really inspired by your story. And we want to create a scholarship foundation, a, a contest in your honor. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I know, right? I wasn't even 30, girl. I think I was like 26, 27 when this happened. I just remember thinking, like... amazing. I was like... I said, some people don't experience stuff like this until they're 20, 30 years in the game. And some (laughs) don't experience it ever. I mean, somebody started a scholarship in your honor. Are you kidding me? You're like Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King. (laughs) (laughs) I remember remember thinking at first, like, this has to be like a prank. Like, I'm getting punked right now. And I remember I reached out to the marketing department um, with the insurance company that I had an agency with. And I was like, I need you guys to do some research because the the odd thing was it was in a place I had never even visited. It hmm. was in Chicago. Wow. I had never stepped foot in Chicago a day, a day ever in my life. And I have someone in a totally different part of the world wanting to honor me. So that's when I actually created my first um, scholarship. And I've kept it going ever since. But it was so awesome to kind of have that experience and be able to give back. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go out here. I'm going to get my friends. I'm going to get these companies that I've been working for, helping them get money. I'm going to get them to donate because everybody has discretionary funds that are set aside for um, give back. You know, if you want to be successful, you want to be successful and have and have a good brand. (laughs) Giving back is a part of that. So, yeah, I, I just think it's just so awesome that wow. you were able to see what it was like to be in that room with other people who are light years ahead of you in experience. Yes. But you saw a need and you were like, OK, how do I how do I feel this need? Because no one is really no one has really made any type of um, effort to create something for this type of a gap, because most of the scholarships are for very specific things. And I've never heard of one being for someone who just can't afford to stay. Yes. You know what I mean? Student emergency assistance. So I started for students who had exhausted all of their financial resources and had a balance placing them at risk for expulsion. So it's for juniors and seniors at Spelman. It's about $2,500 for each scholarship. It's like, you know, you're at the tail end this money really does help to actually just get them to, to graduate. It's an emergency awesome. scholarship. So it's a huge blessing, um, you know, to have been able to help my Spelman sisters. You know, it, it was so important to me, even as a student, as I said, Spelman poured into me so much that even as a student, I wanted to be able to invest in other students attending an institution. Um, it, I just, everything, my entire platform started from that. My nonprofit branched out of my scholarship. My nonprofit is actually student emergency assistance incorporated. And I started that at 22. Um, while I was network, I was working at the time at JP Morgan on a high level project for the, in partnership with the King Center. We actually archived okay. and indexed everything relating to Dr. Martin Luther King's life, like I held and abstracted and archived the original I Have a Dream speech, Dr. Martin Luther wow. King's telegrams sent from President Johnson and President Kennedy, telegrams from Malcolm X, love letters that he wrote, 
everything that he ever had in his homes. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I worked on a team of about 20 um, with some people from high level execs from JP Morgan. Um, and we did this million dollar project for the King Center. And it, it we had over a million views today at launch. But it was while I was working at that very wow. inspirational internship um, after graduating from Spelman that the former vice president of JP Morgan, who was stationed in Atlanta, who's still a great mentor of mine, Beverly Dabney, shout out to her. She said, Mia, you're doing these events every, you know, every month, you know, for the homeless or for youth, you're using your own money. You should just start Mm -hmm. a nonprofit. So she was my motivation into starting my nonprofit at 22. So I've been managing that for about eight years now, managing my scholarship for about, you know, 10, close to 11 years. Um, And, you know, everything just really adds up. So it's crazy. I mean, I would have never thought at 22 that now that I'm 31, that I would be looking back and saying, okay, it's been nine, 10, 11 years since I've been managing something. Wow. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So touching on your education background um, again. So can you just let our listeners know how many degrees you have and what they are in? So I have a bachelor's in psychology from Spelman. Um, and while I was at Spelman, I actually start, studied at L'Institut de Catholique in Paris, my uh, first semester junior year. So I studied there and I also studied at Boston University for a summer. Um, I was doing a summer program. So I attended those three for my bachelor's. And then I did my first master's in child and adolescent psychiatry um, when I was 22 um, at London, King's College, London. Um, and that my third master's is in, sorry, my, my third degree and my second master's is in global business. Um, and that one was across Spain, Asia and California. So I attended a university called IQS in Barcelona, Fujian University in Taiwan. And my degree is from the University of San Francisco. And I'm currently at the University of West Indies pursuing a PhD in governance and public policy. That is absolutely amazing. It really, really is. I mean, like, this is hashtag black girl magic, like, <laughs> on the boss circle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on indeed. The circle. Yes, like, I love, love, love how you are always, always learning. And I love that your degrees aren't all in the same thing, but they can all kind of intertwine. Yes. Your overall goal. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm not a practicing psychologist. I realized, you know, when I was younger, I've always been kind of like a humanitarian, do good, give back. And I never thought of it as do good, give back because it was just me. Like I was tutoring um, autistic children every every day, starting in middle school. I was like 11 years old. I did it so much that when my dad visited, he thought I was autistic. He was like about to snatch me out of class. Like he wow. was about, he was asking my mama, like, what happened to Mia? <laughs> Last time I was here, <laughs> she had on the road. Now she in the class with autistic children all day. Like he yeah. literally said that. I was like, sir. <laughs> but, um, you know, so that's always been my spirit. And I thought that that translated to, oh, yes, psychology is my path. So I actually did my first two degrees in psychology. When I started working in the field, it was so 
different than what I expected. I felt like a terrible psychologist. Um, I just felt overworked, underappreciated. You're definitely underpaid, but that wasn't the, the issue. The issue was I didn't feel like I was really touching lives. And, you know, there's so many restrictions and boundaries in the field that I didn't think about when I was doing my nonprofit work. You know what I mean? I'm feeding the homeless. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to the shelter. Like, hey, I'm going to bring some clothes and some food. You know, I just wanted to serve. And so it was so it was less restricting. And I was like, wow, I don't really feel like I'm making an impact. So I ended up feeling super depressed, which is why, you know, I did get the second master's in in business. It wasn't because I'm an overachiever. It's because I literally was depressed for the entire 25th year of my life working in the field. And I was like, this is not going to work for me. Um, So business was kind of a natural thing because I've always been an entrepreneur, I would say, since I was like maybe, you know, eight years old. I was selling pecans and doing anything to make money. And (laughs) when I was 15, I worked with Cutco. So I was like an independent contractor selling knives. Um, I was making racks selling those knives. Trust me. Like I'm a saleswoman. (laughs) Like one day I made a thousand dollars in like an hour and I was like, pull it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's that's definitely goals. (laughs) Yeah. I was 15. I was like, yo, I'm wealthy. I'm, I quit. I actually quit the job that day. I was like, I don't even need this job no more. (laughs) But so like my dad's an entrepreneur as well. My grandfather owned a few home my family like you know everybody has at least like three you know jobs and you know they work for themselves on my dad's side so I kind of grew up with that hustle as well so business was a natural thing and global was also a natural thing because by the time I did that global degree I had already lived in Paris and London and I had already been to about eight countries at the time Wow. So, um, yeah, that's how I ended up with the next degree. And the, you know, the government and public policy, that is actually the biggest surprise to me because I (laughs) never, ever saw myself in politics or, you know, working in the government. In fact, I was like, I am never doing that. You know, I just, I really actually saw myself as just kind of blending in and, you know, just working all the stuff that I'm doing and the opportunities that God blessed me with. I didn't expect it. And also it's like, it kind of gives me a little social anxiety as well, because, you know, even though I had, you know, the spotlight is on me and I have these huge opportunities globally. It's like, you know, on the inside, I'm a little, you know, introverted and antisocial. So sometimes it's a bit much for me. Um, but you know, it's obviously a part of my path. So that's what God wants for me. And I'm, I'm just walking in it. But yeah, so the government part, that was the most surprising. But when I finished my second master's, what happened is I went back home, um, because I was broke and (laughs) I had traveled to (laughs) 16 countries in eight months across, um, Asia and Europe. I was doing the most during that master's. So I was definitely flat broke. And I was like, okay, going home. I was so broke that the day of my graduation in California, I literally took Mm -hmm. the, like I took the bus to meet my family in LA and I flew home with them. Like I couldn't even afford to stay in California for a day, literally. Like I left, I left the day I graduated. 
So I went home and I was like, mm. all right, you know, I'm going to pursue a job. But I, I couldn't really get a job. Um, there wasn't any opportunities available for me. People were like, oh, you're overqualified or I'm underqualified. It was just all these barriers. Um, but mm-hmm. I know one thing in my life was popping and it was that a lot of local leaders from, you know, city council to judges running for fourth circuit to congressional candidates, state legislator, and, you know, the, the mayors and it, also the governor, whenever they had an election or something going on, they asked me to come with them, to join them, you know, be kind of, wow. uh, you know, a surrogate, just going with them from place to place or being, you know, in their commercials or hosting events for them, you know, gathering influential millennials to, uh, you know, to support them. And so I started doing things like that. And they kept pulling me in more and more and more. That's why I say it started from a local level and then it went to, you know, the state level and the federal level. And I'm like, okay, obviously God has a calling for me in this area because these people are seeking me out. And, you know, it's, I'm young, I'm, I'm black, I'm educated, you know, politicians, they need that. They need to have somebody, you know, supporting them, somebody that can kind of blend in. And me, I have a very, you know, the, the versatility, uh, you know, a lot of my friends are in entertainment, um, including yourself. Um, and then, you know, I have mm-hmm. also really, you know, conservative and, you know, contacts in business and also governmental leaders. So they know that there is the versatility with me and they can get that different type of, you know, audience that they might necessarily be exposed to or have access to. Yeah. And and it's also it's also a different talk track as well from a political standpoint into getting into those types of circles. So it helps that you have that knowledge and expertise already. Yes. Navigate those waters. Yes, indeed. Um, You know, it's it's helpful all the way around because I'm constantly learning a lot and, you know, learning a lot of strategy and techniques, communication skills. So all of that really, you know, it ties in just perfectly. So. Um, you know, I just got really interested in politics and that's how I ended up in the job where you and I actually met. I was work, um, volunteering. Mm-hmm. I actually met Mayor Bottoms through a, a friend, um, who was hosting an event for her when she was running for mayor. So mm-hmm. after being introduced to her that way, I was actually living in New Orleans at the time, but I didn't have a job because remember no one was hiring. So I was just trying to do yeah. everything I could. Um, you know, I had started my company, uh, global management and marketing LLC, and basically just said, okay, I'm going to do projects on the side under my company, um, just to get money. And I'm going to leverage the skills that I developed through managing my nonprofit for eight years, which included marketing, branding, public relations, some social, um, you know, social stuff, partnerships, events, planning, fundraising, sponsorship solicitation. So that's what I started doing for clients just to like basically float by because it wasn't like this huge thing. It was like a $2,000 project every now and then I was living at home. So I was able to just, you know, hold on and just do the next thing. So when I met the mayor, now mayor of Atlanta, I started driving to Atlanta every month because, you know, I have a huge network in Atlanta and I was staying with friends Mm -hmm. and I was just getting on her campaign trail. So I would follow her, 
I would go to her events and hear her speak. I started working with her campaign. I was doing phone banking. And when I say working, I mean volunteering, phone banking, going door to door, canvassing, you know, um, and fully supporting her. So I went for this position, um, you know, when I, you know, when there's any administration, a lot of people get displaced and there's a lot of new people. So I knew that if she won yeah. the election, there was going to be a huge shift. Well, when she won the election, because somebody was going to have to win. And so I knew that there yeah. was an opportunity to look for jobs. And so I actually applied to, I, when I spoke with HR, I told them I wanted to be placed in anything with international business. So I was so excited and delighted about the job that I ended up having and working in the mayor's administration in a department of aviation because my role, wow. literally, it was like the dream role to fit every single one of my skills soft mm -hmm. and hard skills. And I never thought something like this could exist. Wow. I was a, a protocol officer. And so I worked with um, each department, the executive departments of the airport. So we worked with the general manager, deputy general managers, operations, security, um, TSA, customs and border protection, um, you know, we worked with all the departments throughout the airport. So I was learning from all these different experts across the, the airport, which is they employed 67,000 people, the size of a small city. Um, and not just wow. that, we partnered with Customs, TSA, Homeland Security, which is TSA, State Department, um, Secret Service, and also the 70 consulate the consular core offices that were in Atlanta. So we, our office provided gate passes to the consular core, the diplomats, so that they can greet their dignitaries um, and world leaders from presidents to prime ministers on down. So I would provide them gate passes, liaise with wow. the State Department, TSA, Customs and Border Protection and Security to facilitate the transit of leaders from over 70 countries. I'm meeting presidents and prime ministers and, you know, royals and ministers and, you know, the secretary general of the UN literally every single day. Wow. And I was such put, a unique role. Yes. I put on, um, you know, delegation programs. And in my time there, I planned over 40 programs for the airport, high-level programs with different leaders wow. from across the world. And I literally got to put all of my skills at use. It was just such a huge blessing. Definitely. That's amazing. Like, you know, for someone to be able to have, uh, have the type of background that you have, all of that experience, and be able to find something that embodies that, yet you were still able to still remain an entrepreneur at the same time, uh, which is really great. So tell us a little bit about um, some of your favorite events that you've had the pleasure of kind of marketing and pulling people together for. Okay. Um, well, one of my favorite events that I ever did, this was really cool. It was um, with one of my former clients slash lifetime client and lifetime mentor, Dr. Calvin Mackey. Um, I was able to put a fundraiser on. We put it together with the movie Hidden Figures that had just come out. 
And, you know, the hero, Katherine Johnson, the one who was able to help get um, John Glenn launched into space, the mathematical genius. um, Mm -hmm. Actually, when I was planning the event for the organization, I saw her granddaughter just so happens to be from New Orleans and she's a teacher. So I stalked her. Oh, wow. (laughs) I went to the school (laughs) and I was like, hey, I am putting on an event and we're it's, you know, basically honoring your grandmother's work, you know, what she did for NASA. And we would love, you know, to have you to come out or, you know, to get a special word from her. So Catherine, who rest in peace. Um, she died recently. She actually yeah. sent a message through her granddaughter who spoke at the event. And through that event, I, I might have, uh, I don't remember. I, I raised about $20,000 for wow. that event. And, you know, it's a, it's a small blimp, uh, you know, but it was it, that money went a long way. They, they were able to help so many kids through programming. And so that felt mm-hmm. really good. And then also just to, you know, do something. You know, I had some a representative from NASA that spoke at the event um, mm-hmm. and also other. I was honoring women in STEM and also simultaneously fundraising for an organization which I love and that I'll always support. Um, so mm-hmm. that was super awesome. Another event that I really enjoyed, like being a part of, is um, the Rosé Festival that happens in Atlanta. And they've yeah. expanded to D.C., and Houston, um, soon nice. they should be expanding to Houston. Um, but yeah, that event is with my client, the Spears group based in new Orleans. And I, um, helped to get the permitting for the event, which is a very meticulous task. Um, the event turns out great. It's a pink and white, uh, wine and champagne festival. You know, we had a violinist yes. and Okay. Manny Fresh was DJed last year. My girl DJ Stormy. So it's really just yes. a vibe. Those are, um, mm-hmm. I think my absolute favorite event of all time was actually the first event I ever planned. And I was 22 in New York. Um, mm-hmm. MTV participated. They, they did some giveaways. Bravo TV did giveaways. I had like Miss New Jersey come out. It was this huge event um, called Fashion wow. Playground. So it was in Bed-Stuy around the corner from where Biggie Smalls grew up. And um, Mm -hmm. about 100 kids came out to this empty studio that we transformed. The kids, they got free haircuts and hair, like photo shoot hairstyles. They got their makeup done. And then they had a professional photo shoot. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they were able to really enjoy that. And um, yeah, that was that was a really dope event. Uh, it sounds like it. It sounds like it. So, I mean, so what I'm kind of hearing here is you were able to use different different parts of your skill sets. So you have the event marketing side because you're great with people, networking. And then I also heard the fundraising side and how you're able to kind of tie those into um, into each other and really create something great and also raise money for great foundations organizations, and also even political candidates, which is really awesome. Those are things that uh, everybody just doesn't have those traits. Yeah. <laughs> so for those people that do have those traits, listen, this is a perfect way to be able to use all of your skill sets at once, you know, and especially if you have a great network as well. 
And I love how you developed networks, even in places where you, you didn't really know anyone when you got there. Yeah. You know, I the, think that speaks volumes, you know. Definitely. I, I built a network in Spain. I did uh, an event there through my nonprofit when I was doing my second master's. I'd partnered with the United Nations Refugee Agency, and I ended up meeting, um, going to some beautiful gallery. Um, I love the space. I, I talked to the owners and I told them, you know, I would love to do an event in this space. They gave me the space for free. They connected me wow. to, they actually connected me to the director of the United Nations Refugee Agency who had turned wow. them down because they wanted to do an event, a fundraiser event. My event was for to benefit Syrian refugees, and I ended up raising enough to have shelter built for two families, two refugee families. Yes. And Amazing. I ended up getting Noor, who's a Syrian refugee. She actually spoke at the event. Um, so that was amazing. Everything just came together, but it's really all about partnerships. The lady, the owner of the facility wasn't able to get the director to help her with her event. But when I called him mm -hmm. within five minutes, he was like, yes, we would love to partner with you. So he got the, wow. you know, the Syrian refugee to speak. And I ended up, you know, using my network from school to find a DJ. And, you know, my friend flew down from New York. She she was you know, she did press. So she was able to do press for the event. So it's really just mm. about, you know, as you said, building networks where you are. And I've truly been blessed with, you know, the ability to do that. I from I lived in London when I was 23. I'm 31 now. I just turned 31. So it's like seven, eight years ago. And I still have a solid mm -hmm. network in, in London that I can call on. And so, you That's know, awesome. yeah, it's pivotal. It's a, definitely. It's about continuing to nurture those relationships, even when you can't be physically present. I think you do a really good job at that, especially, I mean, because we were friends before you moved to Jamaica. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have still been able to find ways to stay connected. You know, I, I think that's that's just so awesome because it really shows that you're you're great at nurturing those relationships, even after you've built them and moved on to different parts of your career. And I really want to talk about um, your speaking as well. Because there are a lot of people who want to be speakers, um, but there are, there are also not a lot of people who are your age and have actually spoken in the different arenas that you've been able to speak in. So I know you've spoken at over 60 events and done eight international speeches. Tell us about probably your top three favorite speaking engagements. Well, I would have to say Essence Festival. I mean, you know, gosh, it doesn't get much better than that. Like, I was so excited Not to at speak all. at Essence. You know, it's all about blackness mm -hmm. and, you know, all yeah. those things. And it's in my city in New Orleans. So that was definitely a life highlight. I spoke on the executive stage um, last last summer with um, the CEO from Dress for Success, one of the top nice. third. Uh, I think she was in the top 38 in GE and there's like over 20,000. Wow. I don't even know. It's like a ridiculous amount of employees. Like it's probably over 50,000. <laughs> she was in the top 38. Um, wow. Chief diversity officer. Yeah. I spoke with the woman who's over. Um, she was 
a big, huge part of the the Pantene. You know, the My Black is Beautiful. Yes. She, she spearheaded mm-hmm. that. So I spoke with some phenomenal, amazing, wow. trailblazing, expert Black women. That was really, really uh, awesome. Yeah. I really like that one. Yeah. Um, and what sorry? about the Google headquarters? Yes. So speaking, um, I spoke at Google headquarters in New York City twice as a part of Soledad O'Brien, um, her Pow Her Foe Summit, which was like a huge blessing, you know, to speak to over 150 youth. Um, you know, these are high school age and some college age students and be able to encourage them and also just to share the stage with Soledad, who I really respect, look up to. She's so sharp. Um, you can't get anything past yeah. Soledad. Uh, so it was just awesome, even, you know, to be in the space, the partnership with Google. And I even spoke with Soledad, uh, you know, as a part of her foundation at Spanx headquarters in Atlanta. And that was also phenomenal. Sarah nice. Blakely spoke. And, you know, that was a really huge event for the youth. Nice, nice, nice. So tell us a little bit about, I know you mentioned some of your mentors. Um, how did you go about choosing your mentor and kind of tell us a little bit about them? And I, wow. I just think it'll be really great for our listeners to hear, especially those people who are like, I really want a mentor, but I don't know how to approach them. You know, my mentors, I was just praying this morning and thanking God for guiding me every step of the way and presenting me with guides and, you know, friends and mentors and connections that have truly helped me to get from point A to point B, um, you know, in my life. So I'm super, super blessed. I think a lot of times my mentors found me. I was kind of, you know, from Spelman, I was just outspoken and um, I was wild, you know, to be honest. And I was always honest. That's the thing. I never hated who I was or I never tried to pretend like I would be real in front of anybody. So it didn't matter. And I think I gained mm-hmm. respect just from being authentic. People knew that, you know what? I know that when Mia say something, she mean it. Or, you know, you know, just just yeah. that transparency. Um, one of my mentors from Spellman, Marsha Allen, she's the person who helped me to start my scholarship. And she gave me my first internship at Spelman. I worked under her. So she taught me, but I, I sought her out. You know, I went to the office and I said, okay, I want to start this scholarship. She was the director uh, or the vice president of donor relations at the time, but she was really high level and she had been working there, you know, about 30 years. So she just guided me and I just kind of stayed close to her. One thing that I did, you know, another one of my great mentors was Dean Baxter at Spelman. Another. She took me under a wing. She would take me to church sometimes. I mean, I think it was more so transparency. And a key to building any relationship is to just show a a very keen interest in that person. So, for example, Mm -hmm. when I when I would go into Dean Baxter's office, I would look around at what's in there, the colors that's in there. I recognize what her favorite color is. I recognize, oh, she has a son. So I said, oh, who is this? Oh, this is your son. Oh, um, oh, like, oh, he's in school. And next time I would go to her office, I would say, oh, how's your son doing in school? I would always mm-hmm. bring up something mm-hmm. that we spoke about from the previous conversation. When they would say something that inspired me, 
I would quote them and I would email them and say, hey, you know, talking to you today, you said this. It really resonated with me. So it was more so really honing in on those connections that I had built and just showing an interest in them and being transparent. You know, my mentor, Mm -hmm. who is the former vice president, one of the vice presidents of J.P. Morgan, she did not like me when I first met her. I actually almost got fired so many times my first month. (laughs) It didn't make sense. Wow. Like wow. she did not like me. I, I remember calling my dad and I, I just knew I was about to get fired one day. And I was like, dad, I think I'm going to get fired. And I'm feeling bad. And me and my dad are like, mm. he's like, oh, don't worry. Whatever. You don't need them. Uh, you know, God is good all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. daddy. Exactly. I didn't Turned get fired. Positive. Right. But I didn't get fired. But what I did is I knew she didn't like me in the beginning. And so I went and I sat next to her. For the rest of the, the, the internship, it was about like a, a year long or I was there for about mm-hmm. uh, five months, but I went and sat next to her for the four months and I just learned from her. And it's like she mm. saw me working so hard and I just listened to her conversations and how she spoke, how she carried herself. I watched her when she wow. went into meetings, the, you know, the confidence that she had and the, the tone in her voice and just how she led and I really just emulated that. So I made her wow. my mentor before she knew she was my mentor. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think, yeah. you know, that's key. And just staying in touch. You know, a lot of times people, when they say mentor, it's like they want something from somebody. But when you really mm-hmm. want to just build and grow and learn, you you would just contact. the. You know, I contact everybody who I ever met, all my contacts, like quarterly. Mm-hmm. I still email yeah. people quarterly who I met eight years ago and give them updates on where I am and see, hey, what are you up to these days? And, you know, if there's ever an opportunity to re-partner, then, you know, you just keep the line of communication open. But you don't always yeah. go to people looking for a recommendation or looking for something. You just go because mm-hmm. you just want to ch- chat, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I love your approach to that because... I think that people some sometimes have a misconception of what being a mentor is and what a mentor is supposed to give you. You know what I mean? Some people think that, okay, because this person, when I go to this person, I want this person to be my mentor. Basically, I want them to tell me everything I need to do to build my business. Well, some of that stuff, if they actually have a business where they are doing strategy of some sort, you kind of have to pay for some of that stuff. Exactly. So I think, you know, I think it's according to um, what you want to do, number one, and then what what type of insight you're looking to get, kind of knowing that in advance and making it kind of all about, uh, you know, how you can help them. And they will reciprocate that by giving you the knowledge that you're looking for for free. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, you just won't have... What a mentor, sometimes you just won't have access to them. That's not what a mentorship is. It doesn't give you access to call them every single week, every time you want to approach a new opportunity or do something different. That's not a mentor. That's actually a coach. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, there's a difference there. And I think that sometimes that line, people don't realize that there's a difference in a coach and a mentor. Coach, you actually have to pay for 
their expertise because they're going to help you build out your business and build out your brand and whatever your life plan is. Right. And that mentor, that mentor is just there for you to bounce ideas off of. Like you need to come to them with the ideas and then they're going to tell you, hey, I think that you should probably try this. I agree. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just think that sometimes it's just not clear on the difference between a mentor and a coach. Yes, ma'am. Huge difference, you know? Yes, indeed. Just not going to have that access to them. I think, like you were saying, quarterly, like that is really the realistic. The millionaires and billionaires, that's the type of access they're giving people and that they're even getting from their own mentors, Hmm. especially if they're at their level. Listen, higher level. And I'm not even (laughs) on the level where I know I'm going and you can't catch me, but quarterly. Like, I, you know, we're Mm -hmm. busy, we're building. And just because it takes us, you know, it might take an hour for us to do this really high level thing. You're not paying for that hour. You're paying for, you know, mm-hmm. these these three degrees and these 10 years of expertise that, you know, yes. where I honed my skills and I put in work. Mentors and, you know, people who want mentees. And another thing they should do is volunteer with the people who they want to mentor them. Mm -hmm. Add Mm -hmm. value to them in a way and show them like, hey, you know, I want to learn from you, but I'm willing to get in where I fit in and shout out to one of my newest mentees. And I tell you, I don't take on mentees. I get emails left and right. Girls are always inspired. And that's great. And I appreciate it. But I don't have time to mentor. I have family. You know, I have my, my own things that I'm working on. I have a few. I probably have about I'll say five girls that I mentor and I've been mentoring some Mm -hmm. of them for over 10 years. Um, And Mm -hmm. my latest mentee, I told her, I was like, look, I don't, I don't take on mentees or anything. This girl really found a way to insert herself into my life to the point where I couldn't (laughs) even like, she's now volunteering. I'm doing something. She's volunteering. She's making bags. She just sit there quiet. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, girl, like, (laughs) obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be in my life. So, you know, I support anything she does, but she, she definitely, she works with me. I told her straight up. I said, look, I can't take on a mentee, but I can take on an intern and I can mentor you along the way. So if you're willing to put in, you know, five to 10 hours of work each week and, you know, be on the ground when I need you, then, you know, whatever other guidance Mm. you need, then I can provide that to you. And she, you know, she went right along with it. I love that. That's exactly what I was talking about. What can you do for them in order to be able to get them to pour into you where they're also, while they're also not missing their own opportunities? You know what I mean? Because you're just asking for them to pour into you. And then that sometimes can be draining. Definitely. I, I just need, I just need everybody to understand that you need to have a different mentor for every aspect of your life. Amen. Like, do not do not pile everything on one particular mentor. Like that's a fact. <laughs> like yes. So I have what I call my personal board of directors. That's I right. Have a mentor. Mm-hmm. I have a mentor who is specifically there to mentor me through whether it is motherhood, ba- balancing my relationship and work life balance, that type of stuff. Yes. You know everything about me personally. Anything I'm personally trying to do in my life, any type of advice I need, that's one specific mentor. You know. And, yes. And then I have, then I have my my mentor who is already in the field, the same exact field that I'm in. 
Yes. So they're just at a higher level, you know, and, and, and they may have more experience than me as well. So I'm able to gain insight from that specific person. And then uh-huh. you're also going to have that other mentor that is in the place where you want to be. They're at, they're at a totally different part um, of life and a, a different level than you are, but it's the one that you aspire to be on. You want that person, that person you probably will talk to three times a year <laughs> just because they're just unavailable. You just cannot get to them like that because they're just at a higher level. And that may be a senior executive. It may be a very um, well-off um, and very successful entrepreneur. It also can be just somebody who is a millionaire or a billionaire. That's just that person. Hey, I know that we're probably only going to talk to each other maybe two to three times a year because you're at the level that I'm trying to get to. So, but my, my way of getting in the door is anytime you have an event, I'm going to be there to support you. So you're going to know that I'm giving back something um, as well as you, you know, when you're actually pouring into them as the mentor. That's right. Yeah. I, mm-hmm, I just think it's really important that people know that that's not what that one mentor is for. That's why yes. you have more than one. I have so <laughs> many. There's a different purpose, you know? Yeah. I have so many. And, one of my most important, you know, mentors are my spiritual ones, the ones that pray and fast yeah. with me, um, yes. you know, mm-hmm. the ones that kind of keep me grounded. So, yeah, I have my spiritual mentors. Um, I have my business mentors. And then I also have like kind of like my life coach mentors, like the ones that help me stay positive and, you know, always yeah. just kind of pour into me. Definitely a balance. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So what's some advice that you could give to our Boss Circle members who may want to tap into that event marketing, um, that fundraising aspect? What's some advice you can give to them? I would say the key to anything is to really study um, and learn. So, you know, before you start a business, you do market research. If you're looking to start an event or, you know, fundraising type of business, the first thing you should do is research um, the top businesses and see what they're doing and what they're not doing. And if there's a gap you can fill or if there is a need, um, the best businesses provide a, something that consumers actually need. Um, so, you know, that would be the mm-hmm. first thing. The second thing is, you know, find communicate to the people in the field and, you know, find kind of like the business mentor and volunteer with them, you know, say, Hey, you know, I'm just interested in learning from you. Is it possible that I can volunteer with you on your next project or, you know, for 10 hours this month? And I guarantee you that a person who is an expert, who is busy, they would love those 10 hours. And that would give you the opportunity to learn from them and build from it. Everything, you know, everybody should remember that success is not linear and everything kind of builds into each other. So I said, like, I I got started at 19. Now, 11 years later, I'm still using the same skills that I developed from 19 years old. So, Mm. you know, just keep building on what you have and leveraging the skills that you have. If you have any strength, lean on the strengths. Don't focus so much on the weak areas. That's great advice. Great, great, great advice. Um, what is that that book that you would say was kind of like your book that changed your perspective? I think the the book that changed my perspective the most, um, I would say The Power of Now 
by Eckhart Tolle, um, however you say his name, Tolle. <laughs> so it could be either or. You know, I'm I'm uh, international. <laughs> but that that book just helps you to just be present, like you know, focus on on now and really just clearing your mind to manifest your your visions. And um, you know, for me, mm-hmm. clarity and spiritual guidance and discipline has always been my number one desire and also goal in life. Mm -hmm. I love that. Love that. That is a great, great book. So everybody check that one out. I love to uh, give our readers some great feedback and tips on books that are really, really impactful um, for not just your career, but also for your personal life as well. So I am just so excited that you joined us today on the Boss Circle. Uh, Just tell everybody who's listening where they can find you, because we definitely want to follow you and keep keep up with Miss Mia Boykins. Yes, I am at Mia Boykins, M-E-A-B-O-Y-K-I-N-S on Instagram and also Facebook. Um, And also my website is miaboykins.biz, B-I-Z. So you can always keep in touch with me there. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much to my girl, Alexis Sierra, for having me today. What an honor to be on this radio. She didn't talk much about herself. I didn't know this was going to be all about me, but this girl is amazing. (laughs) I'm so happy to learn from her. She's an expert in so many industries, not just insurance and business and communication, Record labels, professional singer. I mean, the list goes on. (laughs) And all of that while being a mother and a partner. Thank you, hon. Yes, indeed. I appreciate that. Yes, that's episode one. And then I'll probably give another version, probably part two of my story, closer to the end of the season. So, yeah, check out to at least learn about the insurance part um, on episode one, Journey to a Boss. That's the story of Alexis Sierra. I am so happy that you joined us, Mia. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with the circle. I'm pretty sure everybody got so much great stuff out of that. I mean, a global entrepreneur and speaker. Definitely follow her on all of her social platforms. And thank you so much for tuning in to My Boss Circle. Join us for next week's episode where you'll get to meet one of my boss friends and head over for our Q&A on My Boss Circle TV at mybosscircle.com, our Facebook group, and on our YouTube channel.